For 20 years, Cultural DC has been making space for art. That includes physical places like galleries, theaters, and affordable housing for artists, but it also includes making space in the conversation for art. This summer, Cultural DC is proud to present When We Gather, a collaborative exploration between Haitian-American Florine Demostin and Ghanaian Achu Namaji. When We Gather is a visual arts installation highlighting the cultural significance of flag making in military campaigns, clan identity, spirituality, and storytelling. Using the history of Haiti's battle for independence and symbology of the Anlo Ewe people, Demosten and Numaji explore the use of symbols and bodies as form of culture and art. In this discussion, Demosten and Numaji discuss the meanings behind fabrics of Africa, the state of arts in Africa, and the intersections of art and cultural responsibility. This conversation is hosted by Simone Booker Isham of Cultural DC. Florine Demostin was born in the United States and raised between Port-au-Prince, Haiti and New York, where she earned her Bachelor of Fine Arts from Parsons School for Design and her Master of Fine Arts from Hunter College City University, where she exhibited extensively through group and solo exhibitions in the United States, Caribbean, UK, Europe, and Africa, with recent solo shows including Between Possibility and Actuality at Marian Ibrahim Gallery in Chicago. Achu Numaji is a Ghanaian artist whose work explores contemporary ideologies of Blackness and West African culture. He was born in the Volta region and studied at Ghanada College of Art and Design. His most recent work, Africa and Us, is a community investigation project where Numaji creates a mixed-media portrait that is based on a series of interviews with Southeast residents of Washington, D.C. The core of his artwork has involved working with West African immigrants who are employed in the service industry, particularly hairstylists and barbers. He has exhibited in Ghana, Tanzania, and the United States, and is based in Washington, D.C. and Maryland. When We Gather, presented by Cultural DC, is on view from July 9th through September 5th in Cultural DC's Mobile Art Gallery, Thursdays through Sundays at Sandlot Southeast. Admission is free. Learn more at culturaldc.org. So how did we meet? You sure you don't want to tell it? No, you start. Are you sure? (laughs) Okay, so this is my version. You know, there's probably like 12 versions of it, right? (laughs) So, um... I met this designer. Um, her name is uh, Wumi. She's a designer and a performer. And I love how she did um, some of her fabrics. She's also a fashion designer. But I was reluctant to ask her where she had her fabric dyed because I felt like, you know, that's proprietary information. But long story short, she just ended up giving me the information. She's like, you know, I know you're going to Ghana, and I want to introduce you to the person who did... Um, the fabric dye. And so I went on this trip. It probably was about six weeks. And so Wumi then sends me a WhatsApp maybe one or two weeks before it. I'm having a blast. And she's like, did you reach out to this person? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll do it. I'll do it. I didn't. I went out, partied, enjoyed myself. And then she's like, Florine, he's, lo- you know, he's waiting for you to reach out. This probably was maybe almost a week and a half left on the trip. And so I was like, okay, okay, fine, I'll do it. So I called him, and you know, most of the times when you call a Ghanaian you haven't met and they hear your accent, they're super excited. They're like, oh my God, my mate, you know, she's a New Yorker, blah, blah. They're gonna Google you while talking to you and all of this. But he was so standoffish. And I was like, ah, it's one of those Ghanaians I'm gonna have to deal with. But Wumi told me to go meet this person, so let me just do this. And uh, so it was a Friday, which I hated, because everybody in Ghana knows it's traffic day. So it's going to be all day long. So call him in the morning. Okay, I'm coming. Uh, So we're supposed to meet at one location. I end up taking the public bus, which I hate, because I can't get a taxi. Then I get to the destination. Is he there? No. He says, no, 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 continue on. I'm at this location. So at this point, I'm rolling my eyes. I haven't eaten. It's hot. And every conversation on the way is very, very standoffish. So what should have maybe taken 30 minutes, 40 minutes, so two hours for me to reach the final, almost to the final destination. 
So at midpoint, he's like, what's the color of the chocho you on? I'm like, oh, wait, is this dude insane? What the hell am I supposed to know? So I was like, whatever. When I get there, I get there, <laughs> right? So at some point in the journey, he walks on to you know this public bus. I had no idea, like, we didn't see each other or nothing, but I knew it was him. He sat down next to me, and from that point on, we we're like best friends. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, that's my version. <laughs> so, what's your version? Yeah. Um, uh, Just yeah. say mine is right, and we're good. No, it's right. It is right. Um, yeah, um, I had a, a friend, almost like a sister to me, a big sister to me, called me. So um, she's also an, uh, an artist, but then she came to Ghana, and then she did um, uh, her album. She's an Afrobeats, you know, singer. So when she went back to New York, she told me, oh, there was a lady who's coming down to, you know, uh, do uh, Time Die and stuff like that. So I should be looking out for her. So I waited, and no call. So I said, ah, well, man, what's going on? Because you cannot come and waste my time on because, man, time is, mo- time is money for here, but time is money to back home. So then, you know, I called. She didn't, you know, she didn't. Uh, think she- I called her, and then she said, oh, she's going to call me. But then I just started, like, giving, getting a vibe. Like, okay, she's from America. She thinks she knows better. Okay, cool. No problem. We'll see all see the her. judgment. Okay, we'll see her. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, I want you judgment. know, I just wanted to show her where they where they do the fabric. So, so I called her and then she said, "Okay, finally she's going to meet." So, you know, the story, what she said was true. So I waited, you know, and then you know, Ghana transportation is not like American transportation that it comes in time. So she thought, you know, it's, it's going to come like five a.m. It's five a.m. No, five a.m. is ten a.m. Five additional five hours. That's, that's a real time for Africa. So she was mad about it, but I was cool about it because that's the lifestyle you live. Wait, wait, wait. I wasn't mad about it. Because remember, I lived in Ghana before. Okay, that's cool. What they do, the classic Ghana phrase is, I'm coming, which means I'm still in bed on WhatsApp. Okay? <laughs> that's what that translates to. So it's like, yeah, that's a different is that I'm me. coming that I'm actually on the bus? <laughs> no, I'm coming means I'm getting a bath around the five times. <laughs> you see? Five you know you see? So it's like, you should, you should understand the term. You should oh, I'm coming, that's I'm getting a bath. And that's what I was asking. And you're like, I'm coming. I'm yeah, coming. Maybe maybe you never learned the jargons in there. So <laughs> when they said I'm coming, you think I'll be there that same time? No, I think like you're, you've left your house, you're actually coming there. No, we don't do that. Not that you're still in your boxers on WhatsApp. <laughs> if I said I'm coming, that means I'm going to take a bath. <laughs> and then from there, I call you where you are. Mm. And then from there, I'll tell you traffic. Mm. And then, you know, I can meet you anywhere because I know you're not going anywhere. So. You see? See the abuse. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, the Marriott was right. Yeah, thank stick you. With your stick with my story. version of the story. Yeah, and then, and then, and then I think we went to meet. Um, no, we had a good ride in the. It's called Trotro. It's a public transport. It's the best, you know, transport you can find in Ghana. No, it's not. Why? Because whenever I take Trotro, which I don't like, what happens? I end up ripping clothes. That's why I always try to take the taxis. There's inevitably a hole in my. And some something that I'm wearing has a hole in it. Because you have the whole world at your back. So yeah. Uh-huh. Like, what do you, what do you, Look like, at this you sweet expect? Ghana talk. Nonsense. What do you expect? Nonsense. <laughs> you have the whole Ghana at your back. <laughs> Nonsense. The children don't like that, so he has to show you how you are back in Ghana. Mm-hmm. You know, so. But, look, it's the best transport you can find in Ghana. That's where you hear all the stories in town. True. All the, you know, uh, uh, politics. That's where you hear, you know, the latest music, the latest what's going on in town. So I like taking the trotro. And you kind of like feel like you're part of the community in a way because you kind of hear what's going on. Even if you don't listen to news or you don't watch TV, you're in the trotro, you listen to all kinds of stuff. Because you sit in the trotro, there's a preacher coming with his Jesus Christ message or whatever it is. You know, he goes, another one comes, and people are mad like crazy. But it's that kind of vibe I like. Mm-hmm. So that's why I like Trotra a lot. Yeah. Is, this, is this what he's describing similar in mm-hmm. Haiti? Or? Oh, yeah. With uh, Haiti, they have the top top. It's very similar. Mm-hmm. Except the top tops are sort of like uh, open back pick tr- pickup trucks that are very decorated. 
Um, but with the cho cho. Is it open Yeah, it's a pick up. Google, my friend. Jesus Google Christ. is your friend. Okay? So yeah, they, so they sit for outside the No, the like thing that. they cover, it cover. <laughs> it cover it. like sardine. He might be like No, no, no. They cover it. And then what happened? So then, you know, you jump on the back, but it's covered and it has like benches on opposite side. Benches? Yes. Jesus. <sighs> like, why? Why? After independence, everybody don't change your transportation. Or we did. This is like that private transportation. Jesus. It's hot. Remember? The country yes. is very hot. And that's the reason why I don't like trotros because I always feel like it's traveling in a giant sardine can where my clothes oh, are going to get ripped. Sardine. I can't expand my legs. There's like no. an extra row of seats. You know, it's like an airline on the ground. <laughs> extra row of seats. Come on now. And he says the no, preaching. But I do like the, herb, the herbalists that come on. Yeah, board. it's yeah. always like something to sell. There's always something to sell. The churches are selling their Bible. You know, the herbalists too are selling their drugs and stuff like that. There's always something to sell. Yeah. And the thing about it is just, you know, everybody comes in with their own stories. Yeah. You know, and then, think of, like, when we get into the trotro, you are, like, you know, everybody becomes your brother and sister. So even, like, you know, I could literally enter the trotro and tell the mates, you know, the guy who takes the money, like, look, bro, I really don't have money right now, but, you know, if you can see my face mm-hmm. the next time, you know, I'm going to give you the money. Please, they never give you change. You have to enter totals with exact change. There's apparently a coin shortage in the whole history of Ghana since I've been there. Nobody has change. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So you Nobody come in with exact change. change. Like, they have yeah, a time. bag of change. Like, there was a point I walked around Ghana with, like, a Ziploc bag of change. It says, look, they mint coins here. There's change in the country. <laughs> People they do. It's just a way of to say, just give. Stop, yeah. Stop, you know. they, no, they, I want my money. They get, they, know they get the money by force from you because a lot of people don't want to give. So yeah. they so, help you by giving. So you see this back and forth? Yeah. From day one. Day one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in Cultural this year, when we invited you mm-hmm. to do this uh, exhibit, I wasn't here. So tell me a little bit about how that played and how it too came into the mix mm-hmm. how did you know immediately like oh i'm doing this and then you guys worked on the theme together how did that come i mean i think since we met we've been talking about some form of collaboration um when him mostly focused in fashion i think art was a secondary but him always wanting to make art primary and the fashion secondary and at the time i was making um accessories and that was secondary and my art was primary so it was finding a way to sort of link up and to try to do something together. So many years, I think it's like, it's our anniversary. It's like 10 years. We have to go yeah. get cake or something. Yeah. Wow, this is like your <laughs> yeah, this is the, this is the anniversary. <laughs> so yeah, over that time, you know, I realized he was really passionate about painting and we've you know, I've been traveling everywhere, so he, so has he. So at points we intersected, at points we didn't meet up, but I always knew, and he always knew, like, at some point we would collaborate. So Christy had reached out to me, I believe, late last year, wanting to restart the mobile gallery. But because of COVID, you know, everything was sort of touch and go. So when she said that, I thought, well, this is a great opportunity for me to explore something that I've been wanting to do, which is collaborative work. Um, and it, it was very immediate who I would work with because he's here in DC. So it's also like an opportunity for him to, I won't say reestablish himself, but to be in a different like, point or in a different way. And also, I don't think you've really done that many art collaborations mm-hmm. in that way. So it was to see like how much we would fight, how much we would have <laughs> crossing over. But like our works are similar in terms of media. We both work with collage. We both work with um, figure-based work. So it was to see like how both of us can find areas where we overlap. And the space was small enough, so it could allow for mistakes. It could allow for um, you know last-minute decisions, things you can't really do with a very formalized gallery space. So that's why I decided to work with him for the project. And then uh, when, when we gather, mm-hmm. how did you guys come up with that? That was through lots and lots of conversations. Yeah, we had a whole lot of conversations. Yeah. And so we came up with that idea. 
Yeah. What I, was the first idea that y'all were just thinking? I think we didn't have. I think that's been the idea, right? Yeah, that's been the idea. It's just trying to figure out how to to show it in in a way that's very interesting. Um, like for me, going to Ghana, it never occurred to me that I would be thinking about cultural roots. Like that was never something in my mind. Like a lot of African Americans go to Ghana and they want to have that connection yeah. to the different different tribes. For me, it was just like, okay, Ghana called me in some spiritual, metaphysical way, and I went. Um, I think for me, like, it's always been about being Haitian, and that encompasses a lot. So we already knew that a majority of slaves came from what is now called Benin, and of uh, the Fon people. So through my research many, many years ago, it's knowing, like, Ewe and Fon are closely related. But um, I never really made it like something where... I don't know how to say it, but it was like that important to my existence. Actually, what really made, had me be curious was more of the sort of voodoo um, images. So you'd see like alligators, snakes painted on different shrines and things like that. So it was for more me visiting the shrines and getting a much more comprehensive sense of voodoo, which in itself was pretty interesting. Um, so when this project came up, I knew it had to be something that explored those cultural, you know, traditions on both ends, because we share a lot of those cultural traditions. And I know with the Ewe, there's not a whole, whole lot written ab about them. So this is a good opportunity to like start. For, for, for me, this is like the first iteration of a project that will continue, because I think it's it's really, really important because, like, in terms of West Africa, you get a lot, particularly in Ghana, on the Akan. The, the, the Akans, the Ashantis. The Ashantis and Fantis. More, more than, you might think they're the only tribe in Ghana. Yes. But they're just one tribe in Ghana. So with the other tribes, like, you have so, much, so many tribes in Ghana, but because they, they're not, like, a written kind of history to, like, get, like about them, so you really don't know. It's even example with the fabrics. Let's you know, let's go to the fabric, like Kente fabrics. The Kente fabrics that they use in the universities in America all over are just coming from the Ashanti clan. But then within Ghana, we have we have so many clans with different Kente fabrics, and every clan has its own fabrics and its own meanings and own you know idea you know identity. But because the Ashantis have been able to uh, kind of like put down their stories and their histories, and they push it so hard that other, you know, other tribes have not been able to do that. So you see an Ashanti more than any other tribe. So what we had right here is what I call uh, very important because we need to start, you know, going back into these tribes, especially the Ewe tribe, where I'm coming from, with the, you know, the, I'm not coming, where, where I'm coming from. So it's good for me, it's good for the, you know, the generation to come. But we need, I think we need to do much more stuff to go deeper than that. And then, yeah. you know, bring in a whole lot of stories that people really don't know because, like, as, he, as she said, like, Haitians, you know, I never knew till she said it, like, you know, like the voodoos and stuff like that. You could see it in Benin, you know. Uh, with the Christianity, they said that it's a primitive, that's, that's, that's stuff, but for us, that's our God, that's our, you know, that's our shrine, you know. So, and you could see that traveling from Benin, Togo, to Ghana. So we are just the same people, you know. So from from here coming from Haiti, I just see like a sister just crossed the sea to another another island. So I don't see her as a anyway, sorry, I don't see her as a Haitian. I just see her like an African coming back home. So my friend, I am Haitian. Anyway, you can make, make it clear. Like, I just feel like a sister coming back home. It's a clear distinction. No. Yes. You just travel from that from our sea to go to an island. You are coming back home, that's all. Okay, I won't even argue. That's what it is. I'll, I'll let you know him have that it's one. Like, it's like, look, it's like <laughs> me, see, see, for me, the way I see it is like me living in Ghana, mm -hmm. coming to America, and then stay here for like four or five years. When I go back, I'm not a stranger to the land. Mm -hmm. You see, so brothers who are from Brazil, mm -hmm. Jamaica, whatever it is, when you come back, you're coming back home. You're not coming back to like, oh, I'm coming back to Ghana. I'm coming, no. Well, yes. I could agree and disagree because I think there are very clear cultural distinctions 
that um, Americans don't have a great understanding of because they didn't grow up in it. Mm-hmm. They don't have the history of it. Yes. So, yes, in a way, we, we are like maybe your cousins more mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. you know, your distant cousins more so than brothers or sisters because there's a, there's a huge difference. Being Haitian helped me live in Ghana. If I wasn't, there were sometimes I would just be like, what the, right? But because I grew up in, you know, Haitian culture, which is very similar, I was able to understand, you know, very nuanced things um, that I know some of the African-Americans I met was just having a very difficult time with because it's not part of the culture here. There's nothing wrong with it, but we're just different black people. We're not all the same. So understanding those nuances really help us to, you know, to sort of deal with each other in a very different way. What was the similarity that surprised you the most when you got there, when you went the first time to visit? Well, the first time I visited, um, I was supposed to be there for three months and I'm staying for a year. So that was just fun, fun. Yeah, it was just fun, fun, lots of partying. It was fun, fun. That's before I met him. It's paradise. And then when I moved in 2014, I moved and I was working. And that was a whole different thing because now I'm entering into the professional field as, you know, a, as a, you know, as a foreigner and as a woman. So that was really interesting. I think probably the story that was the most distinctive to me was um, I was a dean and part of my job was to deal with the accreditation board. So we'd go to these meetings, and it would all be men. Now, that's okay. I mean, I understood that, but, like, no one would deal with you. So it was meeting after meeting after meeting, and, you know, the person I was working with was, was a woman, and she was Ghanaian, who was, like, beating her head over, it's not fair, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, there has to be a way in. And so what I did, I think at some point I had a conversation with my father, not about this, about something else. And then it hit me. I was like, oh, they're like that. I just have to handle them like that. And that made life easy. So I know with my father, you can't approach him like, you know, very, very directly like people do here with their parents. You just drop everything on them. You and drop they, a bomb. Yeah, you just drop a bomb and you walk <laughs> away. No, Haitian parents, you ease them in, yeah. you know, step by step. It's like, if you have a boyfriend, you never say, mom, I'm gonna introduce my boyfriend. Say, no, 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 no. <laughs> You say, Mom, you know, what do you think about me having a boyfriend? She knows you have somebody, right? But, but she's going to play the game with you. So you sort of ease things in. So in dealing with the accreditation board, I was like, okay, I'm going to handle them like I handled Dad. So I went in. I would go in and just have conversation, bring lunch, bring drinks, never ask for anything. And maybe within a span of two months... They would call me and say, you know what? These documents have come. What, what do you want to do with it? Right? But as an American, if I had the American approach, it would just be hitting a brick wall the entire time. So that's, that to me was the benefit of being Haitian, understanding those cultural nuances that it helped me to sort of negotiate through Ghana and like to live and to really, in a way, immerse myself fully in it and not be separate. So are you saying that mm-hmm. you being Haitian, you really know what a man is? Are you going to start this gender nonsense? No, I'm <laughs> just asking because it's part of the conversation. No, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm saying is that there is a, there's a cultural mm-hmm. standard, Okay. right? So mm-hmm. growing up, I learned how to deal with people in a certain way. So you learn how to deal with your elders a certain way, your peers a certain way. That's not always necessarily enforced in American culture. Maybe if you go to the deep south. Yeah, I I went to Alabama and stuff. Yeah, where the, you know, that tradition is still there. New York, like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, like, having that and understanding that, um, also understanding in, like, African culture... For you to move up in position as a man, you have to be married with children. They don't take you seriously. It's true. And the same as a woman, you have to be married with children because, like, you don't, what do you know about life? You're single, you know, living your life and you're making big decisions. No. 
So like I understood this as part of Haitian culture. Yeah. So it's not necessarily I understood men per se, mm -hmm. but I understood the the sort of way, you know, the respect goes. How you respect somebody who's older. How do you respect somebody in um, a particular position? Yeah. And it's not necessarily demeaning. Where I think an American would see it as demeaning. Yeah. I know it's it's a hard thing sometimes to convey. Yeah, I thought you were gonna say something like, mm. uh, I don't know, something about like the food <laughs> or something, but that's totally, yeah. yeah. The food and stuff, I mean, I, I expected that. The food is, the food is dramatically different from Haitian food, but I think yeah. that's not, those are not the difficulties that yeah. people encounter when they go and they immerse themselves in a particular culture, especially with African-Americans wanting to immerse themselves in African culture. And I'm just gonna speak particularly on Ghana. There is so many different things in um, traditions and practices and expectations that they're not going to tell you, right? And so these are things that you have to sort of step back and not necessarily abandon the way you were raised, but not keep that as the only truth. You know, there's multiple truths it's depending on, yeah, whatever group you are, they each have their own versions of truths. Yeah. And then you have to sort of honor that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk about the arts. Yes. So Atu, I'm gonna get you talking. Um, tell me how you. So Florine mentioned that you started with textile, yeah. and that's still something that you do. So talk about your transition into more of the visual arts. And um, I would say uh, for me, I'm an artist first. Then the fashion was a hobby for me, but you know, coming to here in America, I needed something to really do to enter into the market. So I just realized that you know the fashion will be the you know the gateway there. But I also but I was also looking at um, the fashion that I do I did back home into here. Then I realized that the kind of fashion that I do back home is much more more I would say more more colorful, more direct in your face. And then I realized that for me in terms of you know my clients that I'm looking at they're not ready for that yet. So I need to, you know, come to a balance in between, you know, uh, Ghana style and then African-American style. So then I came up with applique, which was, you know, putting, you know, uh, people in terms of very important people on t-shirts. But then I do that with felt against, you know, African print, sometimes print here onto t-shirt. But then I call it the wearable art because it's art at the same time you can wear it. So that alone gives me, you know, the go ahead to do other stuff in art, like, you know, visual art where I can hang them and, you know, stuff like that. So for her, so when we had this conversation, I, would, I wanted to always try a different means in terms of the fashion stuff. So when she said it, I said, okay, cool. I could, you know, use this as a way to go into another step to make it much more bigger. So now that it's on T-shirt, now I could do that on the canvas, on fabrics, just as, just as an art form, you know, and see how it goes like. And it worked perfectly, uh, and I liked it. Mm -hmm. Who taught yeah. you how to sew? Oh, self-taught. Really? Yeah, so, like, I will say, like, <laughs> YouTube is the cheapest university in the world. <laughs> 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 That's true. YouTube is the cheapest, look, if you, if you don't have money for school, I bet you go to YouTube. Uh, <laughs> the cheapest yes, university. Right. <laughs> 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 it is the most it's the most cheap look. Even if you want to learn how to beat a person, go to YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most cheapest university you can get in the whole world. Like sometimes I ask people like, why do you want to learn a course and go and spend it somewhere? You know, you can learn it in your bedroom. Like YouTube, once you have the time, yeah. you are ready to learn and you are interested in the thing that you want to learn. Like go to YouTube, have the time, you know, experiment. Because yeah. I learned all my stuff, you know. I'll say this, when I was growing up in Ghana, they used to buy us foreign clothes, which is the, you know, the, 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 the long sleeve shirt with bottom stuff. And it was so big. You know, they didn't like you wearing tight stuff, you know, but for me it was so big. So I used, I used to hate it a lot. And they only buy you when there's Christmas time. That's why they, you know, they buy you all this stuff. So I used to hate it. So when I was growing up, I said, no, you know what? I think I have to start doing my own clothes the way I want. So 
So then I went to the market, you know, there they call it uh, second hand. So clothes that I brought in by, from, from, from American Europe, you know, and we call it bend down boutique. Because you bend, it's on the floor, so you bend and pick it up, so it becomes a bend down boutique. So that's how we call it back home. <laughs> so I just go buy a shirt, a bottom shirt, you know, bought one, and then I stitch everything, lay the fabric down, and then I bought maybe few. Then I realized that they have the same pattern, but you know, different sizes. So I said, oh, okay. So this way the Europeans have been catching us. You know, they all have the same patterns, but just different styles. So that's where I started learning from. And then I added YouTube in terms of sizes. You know, that really helped me in terms of sizes. Mm-hmm. But I also, uh, <clears throat> you know, so from there, I kind of like go into, like my clothing line, I'll say is much more into the local way of seeing clothing, not the European way of seeing clothing. Then, because you still want to sell, you still want to make money, you kind of add a little bit of European touch because the youth now are more, anything which is more modernized, you have to be more European. Mm-hmm. So it's not like more African, it doesn't make it more modernized, you know what I'm saying? So that's why I was like, okay, cool. Anything more modernized in the whole world, you have to add more Europeans, like 80% European and then maybe 20% your own self. So I said, okay, I'll get them a t-shirt because t-shirt, everybody wears t-shirt. You know, hoodies, like American fashion is all about hoodies, t-shirts, sweatshirts. Oh, wait, so you've been doing the t-shirts since Ghana? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because, t- like, man, I started doing sh- fashion almost 1999. So He's when an I finished. So when I, like, <laughs> those days, like, in those days, there weren't any, any youth fashion, like, you know, they were all, like, we were, we were doing a hip-hop kind of scene. We were doing, you know, a uh, biggie t-shirt, Tupac t-shirt, you know, academics, uh, Echo, man, so like Son John, like those are the brands we grew up with, you know. So for me, it was, I didn't like it because it wasn't a representative of us, it was just a copying idea from, you know, from America. So there was a guy who was called Maule Kujeto. He lived in Britain, but he was a Ghanaian. But because he lived in Britain, they see him as more professional mm-hmm. just because he lived with the white people. Mm-hmm. So he was seen as the more professional. But for me, I just seen like a normal person. So when he came to Ghana, he kind of introduced, okay, he wanted to use his, his platform to then do youth stuff because there weren't any youth designer at that time in Ghana. So anytime they buy you stuff, it was academics. It was somebody, you have to pay somebody who's coming from here in America to buy you shirts, to buy you Nike shirts, even Nike Jordans and stuff like that. So that was all we know. So when he came, he said, no, you know what? We could do something which infused the Ghanaian culture onto T-shirt. And then he came out with an application. So we were using Kente fabrics, different Kente fabrics, to, to create designs on T-shirt. That's where it started. So, you know, when I was going to school, I, I, by that time I was going to school. So I would come in and look at it. And I said, told him, look, you know what? I want, to, I want to do something. And he said, cool. So I used to go to school and come to his place and do that. So... That was where I started, mm-hmm. you know, learning in terms of his way of understanding fashion because he's been to the West and seen what mm-hmm. they do. I always pick certain things from them, and that was mm-hmm. it, you know. So 1999, it was tough. At that time, nobody even wanted to wear anything African, even in Ghana, as yeah, a kid. Yeah, that. That's true. Because everybody was looking at America as, you know, the gateway to fashion. I think that's still the case. I mean, I think... That's part of the things we discuss with the mm-hmm. show mm-hmm. is the importance of textiles, particularly in West African culture. There's thousands of textiles. And um, the lack of companies anymore. So many companies have, are not, it's no longer working. Like no. they've, they've, they've just stopped. sort of gone bust. Yep. And the cheap Chinese knockoffs have aided in that process. And I think you see it in pretty much almost every contemporary West African artist right now, um, they're somehow painting, you know, Ankara cloth, yep. they're using kente, they're using this, you know, idea of the textile. But what is not spoken about, which I, I would talk to Achu, like the world's famous African, you know, sculptor, and I'm not going to massacre his name because he's an Ewe, you can say. Uh, what's his name? El- there you go. <laughs> it's not going to massacre the LA name. Like, he's the most famous, you know, artist, but rarely talks about 
the implications of airway culture and some of the pieces that he does. Um, and, the, you know, those big, huge pieces they said that mimic Kente, but they are particularly about being airway and fabrics. the type, yeah, fabrics, mm -hmm. the weaving process, the meaning into all of that. So that's something we spent a lot of time speaking about, that there is a big emphasis in African art, but there's very little emphasis on the cultural implications of what artists are using. They, they're sort of not wanting to talk about it, mm -hmm. and they want to sort of be, put it under a big umbrella, but each one of those things are very, very significant. It's true. There are some artists that are really being specific about it, I but... Hmm? I would talk on that. The, the reason why they're not talking about it is yeah. just the whole of Africa, right? No, I, it's not the whole of Africa. But I think, look, I think... I'm talking about Ghanaians. Okay, okay, Ghana. Okay, <laughs> let me speak you know, in Ghana, right? Yeah. I think the reason why these things are not shown mm. is just our way of education, right? Our education system is based on European ideology. So when you're in school, they don't teach you what to do in Ghana. They teach you what you can survive in America or Europe. Mm. So therefore, your mindset, you have to be a doctor. They will never tell you to become a farmer. So therefore, when you grow up, you only see shows like, you know, Housewives of Atlanta or other places. Then you want to become those people. So in your life, you only see people who look like you as villagers, even though you are from the same town. So when you acquire European ideology, you, you, you look like black, but you, you think white. You, you got what I'm saying? So the Ghanaian culture or mm. the Ghanaian so elites are mostly like that. But we're not talking about the elites. When I'm talking no, about... No, I'm just... No, I'm just, I'm just I get you, but we're going to reference artists here. No, but then, but then that also <laughs> goes into the arts. But most of the artists in Ghana are not coming from the elite class. But they are selling to the elite people. So they have to really mm, give not, them that They're selling to foreigners. So it's like the perfect time to go in, like if you look at South Africa, for example. South Africa is different though. I know, but you said Africa, so we're gonna go back South under Africa the umbrella. Like All right, so if you look America. at like <laughs> Zulu culture, right? But look, look at the Zulus with fashion. Yes. They use their cloths. Yes. They, they use part of their traditions as it. But with Ghanaians, everybody's wrapped in kente, but nobody talks about the meanings of kente. Nobody says, this is a kente worn for this, this is a kente no, worn do, for that. Do. I'm saying not outside. They, we do it inside. Yeah. It's Rarely. Like, no, because some fabrics are meant for just single guys, single women. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, how but to marry, how many people here in the United States know that? Be, no. You see? They don't. Okay, we seeing head it's, shaking. It's like for the but, beads. but what I'm saying it's is like for the waist beads. But what I'm saying is yes. if you're putting that in a painting, okay, that's don't you think that's important? No, it is important. Or it in a sculpture. Important. It is important. Or if you're doing writing or photo shoot that it's not used the way silk or chiffon is used. Yeah. It actually has meaning behind it. It's true, it does. Because without that meaning, then you can't, the industry doesn't, doesn't sustain itself, or it, it shrinks, because everyone sees it like you buy, you know, you just go to the yeah, store, you buy yards of fabric, stuff. right? Or if I want to make something West African, let me just go and buy Chinese fabrics and cut a slit in Kaaba. Yeah. You know, almost little mermaid dresses, and now I'm in like my African gear. Well, no, you're not. You're in your Chinese gear, right? And then that most of the prints are made in Holland. They're not even made by us. No. So the ones that are truly made by us, like the kente, but then these type of prints, we don't promote it. Even even the ones that are made by us, for example, the tie and dyes, the batiks, all mm -hmm. the stuff. We as Ghanaians, a lot of them don't even wear it. And the problem, I'm just telling you, see, the problem is that that mindset, you know what I'm saying, when you bring something from the West, mm -hmm. like Holland, mm -hmm. it's so expensive, the mm -hmm. fabric is whack as hell, but they buy it. I'm, I'm just being, I'm I, I, I hear you. See, but when I'm talking, as, hell, I'm as a designer, I don't buy those fabrics. But what I'm saying is, as a creative person, yes. that's part of our responsibility. No, that's my responsibility as a yeah. Ghanaian to then introduce more of African stuff to the Ghanaians. Like, look, bro. Yeah, but even here... This thing is whack. Yeah. Like, we have to go back and start doing our own stuff, narrating yeah. our own story in terms of how we see fabrics. So, and that has become the problem. So that's why, you know, when we go back to your original question, how do we come up with the title, When We Gather? Because you see what happens when we start to come together. <laughs> <laughs> we start to have interesting conversations that are not... That, you know, that are thought-provoking and not just about the sort of surface issues. And that is something that I wanted uh, us to continue to explore, 
is this idea of things that we don't want to talk about, sort of artist yeah, responsibility. Like not to talk about it, but we have to talk about yeah. it. Yeah, artist responsibility sometimes, cultural responsibility. Um, yeah. yeah, like for the work that I created, I did not want it to be a typical representation of the revolution where everyone is copying from lithographs and taking it as the base <laughs> of what people look like. Like I always argue, I don't think Toussaint wore those you know, French uniform yeah. and things like that. So I think this is important for people to engage in and for us to continue to talk about. That's very good because the way you, you, know, the way you came about those things is also very important. Really? <laughs> oh, look, you try to sound nice now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I look forward to the second version. No, but you know, I think it's good because mm. I think even me, like the way I approach mine, mm. even though I'm using you know the airway side, I mm. kind of approach it much more local mm. and much more it was also understanding to everybody who who wants to you know you know kind of like go into our culture and also yeah. have you know a dialogue. I just think that there needs to be more on airway culture too. At that one, too, I do agree. Yeah, definitely. Know, I do agree. Because we have to really teach you know, our own people how yeah. we look like, what we believe in, and all that stuff. Yeah. Is it good? So you all had mentioned earlier in your conversation about how mm -hmm. uh, fashion in Africa skews towards European to, work, to be mm -hmm. accepted. Yes. What do you imagine a African-forward fashion design would look like, or what would what would you hope for in that regard mm -hmm. in terms of acknowledgement of the culture that goes into it, but also what people are wearing stylishly, et cetera? I think uh, there's some designers. No, there are some designers who are that, coming right? up who are doing that, mm -hmm. which is good for the Ghanaian culture. But also, even within, okay, let's say this, within the, within the fashion industry in Africa as, as a general, the French-speaking countries has been taking the lead a long time. Because they are, they are, even though French colonized them, French did not really impose their way of dressing on them. Unlike the, the English-speaking countries like Ghana, Nigeria, and other people. The Ghana Nigerians are mostly want to behave like London people, American people, all that stuff. So you see a lot of uh, uh, Nigerians or Ghanaians who have been schooled here in America, they wear suit and tie in the heat, and they are dying. <laughs> but then you come back home, they speak very big English. You don't understand them. They write books very big. You read one sentence, your head is spinning. <laughs> so they try to tell you they are, they are scholars in the European ideology. So that has also affected the fashion industry. Because when they come back home, they have the entertainment. They are head, head of the entertainment. Yeah, they are head of the fashion industry. And they pick, like, even when you go to fashion industry, they call people to sit down in front. And they don't, they look like us, but they don't behave like us. And they are the ones who judge the fashion industry in Africa. And their mindset are not even Africans. They look, but they don't think like us. That's so, true. So, yeah. therefore, the, the, the fashion in Africa in general, or maybe in Ghana, I'll say, is going bad because of that. Because we are electing people who don't even, even look like us, but who have never stayed in the country to go through the traditional system of dressing and understand ways why we should dress this way, we shouldn't dress this way. Because hmm. I went to do a, a like, let's put, I went to do a fashion show in Tanzania called Swahili Fashion Week, right? That's what I like about Tanzania. The, 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 the country gives you a code how you should dress your models. So you, a man should not wear shorts lower or higher than the knee. You know, a lady should not wear short skirt. You know, men should not show their chest, all that stuff. So they have a code, really code. So if you want to be a designer there and they give you the code, you cannot, my brother, <laughs> the airport is there, you can go back home. <laughs> <laughs> it's not two ways, it's not a human right, female right, no, no, no. They give you the code, you come to the country, then you create a, a, alongside that code and that culture. But within other countries, like maybe Ghana, they want to make it open. Because they think, okay, if they don't make it open, there are people coming in, oh, you're not modern, Oh, you're not like this. Oh, you're not like that. So they kind of open it up. But when you open it up, you are also swallowing other cultures, rules, and regulations in those contexts as a designer. Well, and that's a problem. I can take it from another perspective. Um, I taught fashion at university level in Ghana. Mm -hmm. um, one of the first things was 
the body. The body is curvy. And we, you can't get curvy mannequins. No. So all the mannequins are European. So no, you it's find, not European, Chinese. Well, yeah, with the Asian body is completely different. But Chinese mostly genes. it would be like, you know, a European-based figure. Sure. So you'd find that, you know, our students would have a difficult time with pattern drafting because you're learning this type of pattern drafting that, re you know, requires constant adjustment, you know, for like, you know, me, the small waist, big booty. Yeah. So it, me it, me it looks a lot, a lot of adjustment if you want to say wear um, high-rise jeans. But when you look at traditional fashion, like a wrapper skirt, um, a fitted flared skirt, these fit all body types, you know? So it's, it's the core principle of understanding, well, how can we take what we do and put a new spin on it that addresses the bodies that are in our country? You know, we're, we're, de we're designing for bodies that don't even fit us. Don't even fit us. Right? It's, it's, it's the same way that I said, like, the same is just the educational system. But see, this is why I tell me I appreciate about West Africa, uh, not West Africa, but uh, South Africa. Mm -hmm. They design for their bodies. Like, I can go into any store because I'm their body type. Small waist, big booty. I mm -hmm. fit in everything. They don't play that mess. They don't try to squeeze themselves, you know, or bolster themselves. No, 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 no. You go in. Yeah. <laughs> there, everything fits. My problem was shoes, because they told me I had West African feet, meaning my feet were too big. So they have child-sized feet, <laughs> I said, right? But, you know, but I, I understood. I wasn't upset, because I was like, they are designing for their, their people, people. Which is really good. Which is really good. And then you find, when you come to Ghana, like, we just weren't doing that. No. We're trying to Africanize a Western style of dressing. And, you know, my students, for example, didn't want to work with something like the Batakari fabrics. So almost no. all... Woven fabrics are strip fabrics. They're strip, and you have to join them. You have to join. You, they make strips, and you join them. So All you the really, kit is, you have to join them. Yeah. So you really have to know how to cut fabric. Um, you have to know about weaving. Also, too, a lot of these um, specialties have been taken out. So these were traditional things that would be passed along. So now students are no longer learning that. It's not part of their tradition anymore where you would sit with your uncle who's a weaver mm -hmm. because everyone's moving into Accra. So where most of the good weaving happens are in the villages. In the villages so yeah. they, they're not seeing that. You know, they're not seeing... Because you need space to do the, we, the weaving. You need space to do the dyeing. You need yeah. space to do the but, block printing and all of that. But you see, it comes down to the same problem. The reason why we can solve those problems in Africa right now, and even in Ghana, is through education. If you make the fashion, aware, the local fashion lucrative, if you make it good, if you start teaching the kids that look, you can become a designer or African designer, base African designer, and make it successfully. Rather than becoming a lawyer, a doctor, and all that bullshit that we used to know all the time, which is not really helping Africa in any way. You know, the development of Africa is just copying the West and putting it back to Africa. It's not developing, it's copying. Development is when you have something and you modify it to the next stage. We don't modify nothing. We just pick stuff from America, it looks good, we bring it here because we want to suit the American way of seeing life. Mm -hmm. So we want to we, we give the American the benefit, oh, we're good like you, so come to our country. Mm -hmm. no. So we give them that vibe. It's the same as you know, the West. We're always trying to make the West good rather than get, getting what we have and then building it on to become developed. Mm -hmm. So development in Africa has always been copied. It's not, there's nothing called developing in Africa, it's just copying. Oh, make it Ghana here, Ghana, Ghana. Everywhere in Africa. Where? No, South that's Africa, not true. Where? That's not true. Where? South Africa because of the white. We leave the white out. You do still be no, like that. No, I think they, they promote some of their traditional ways of doing things, more so uh, than Ghana. Ghanaians so, will weave you a see, mala kente. See. Easy. They will give you the mala kente, but never tell you the kente meaning. No, but no, no. You see that? You see that got lost because mm -hmm. they they lost that uh, older people. Like, older people learned mm -hmm. because yeah, because a lot of them are doing it just for the money. At first, you have to pour libation. It's a whole ceremony. Mm -hmm. You have to pour libation. Tell the gods that I'm gonna weave a kente. You know what kind of name should, should I give? Then the symbols in the kente would mean something to them. So it becomes an art form. So you see, now you're talking about it. Have we ever heard this before? You know, and you How see, any of us okay, heard this before? So, so, no. so, so then after that, they would draw the patterns, and every, every design, every logo has a meaning towards why he's created. So it has a whole story. 
So there are some fabrics which are only meant for kings. If you wear that fabric in town in front of the king, you're insulting the king. And you'll, you'll be fine a goat, a cow, or something like that. And there are some fabrics which are meant for women who, are, who, are, who don't have kids. There are also you know, women who have lost their husbands. There are some. So fabrics are there. We have the meanings. It's there. The problem is we are not really, really educating it. We are not pushing it into the, uh, the educational system in Ghana so that people can learn. Trust me, there, there are not even no African-centered educational system in Ghana, which is so bad. Yeah. So that alone itself is zero percent. So all the schools behave like Americans. They go to summer break. What? I think we have winter break in Ghana. <laughs> He's all right. You guys get him started, he can go. No, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> no, it's just ridiculous. I know. In a country where we don't have, we, we, we only have hamatan, uh, raining, and hot 24-7. Mm. Your kids go to summer break. I think we, we have summer break. Then they go to winter break. So they are copying American way of education, right? So that's why you see even people in Ghana behave like Americans. Mm. In Ghana. And that's why Ghana or Africa is not moving forward. Well, this is this is why I think like this project is important because it's also looking at the Caribbean aspect, the sort of Africanness in what we do. And the church is even worse. Don't get it religious here. You gonna get him rolling. <laughs> you can get him rolling. But yes, uh, but you know that's the aspect that I you know like that I want to continue to investigate. And I think I do so in my own personal work on some level. Um, so this was to me like the first time really doing sort of almost Haitian-centered work or African-centered work explicitly, but it's always inherent in pretty much everything that I do. So uh, to, in one of your works, you have the, the saying of the, the four uh, brooms are stronger than one. I'm butchering yeah. the saying. Mm -hmm. But can you each give me a saying in Haitian or if you want to do something that you like in, from Ghana and then from Ghana that is just, it's your favorite saying. Um, I can give you my... Do I'll <laughs> do, do the four brooms. No, I can <laughs> do mine. Um, my one is Deemon um, Gemon, which means behind every mountain there's a mountain. So it sort of speaks to the obstacles and the landscape of Haiti, being a mountainous country, and the sort of the obstacles that we face in life. So as you work through one, you know one is coming. So it's sort of an acceptance of the journey of life. And as obstacles come, you know you can overcome them one by one. Yeah. Uh, mine in my language called atafudu kakemanyamo, meaning that you can run, but you don't know the way. So as a kid, you know, coming up, you are, you are very stronger than your mom or your dad, and you can run faster than your mom and dad. They'll tell you, my friend, don't do this, don't do that. You know, you think you know better because this is my time. But, you know, your time is just a different difference. Maybe now, at that time, they were using, using phone. Now you're using phone. It doesn't change dialogue. It doesn't change family. It doesn't change anything. So it's just like you could know the way, but, you, no, you could run, but you don't know the way. So, you know, so as, as kids, you always have to listen to your, to your parents or, or somebody who's older who have had those experiences that, look, if you go this way, you're going to hit the wall and don't do that. Perfect. <laughs> this podcast was made in partnership with Candor Labs. Want to learn how to make your own podcast? Hit us up. Reach out to us at candorlabs.com.